Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. In this episode, we've got Andrew Flatt, who is increasingly becoming a go-to name in the sports science industry due to his research on heart rate variability. Andrew's an exercise physiology professor at the University of Alabama, where he's fortunate to have access to a wide variety of world-class athletes and is collecting and analyzing some really fascinating data. Um, One of the big topics we discuss in a minute here is the difference between elite athletes and recreational athletes, and not only uh, normal differences that you might think of, but HRV value differences as well. Um, More specifically, we'll cover how to use various HRV values in relation to optimizing sports and athletic training. And again, this is straight from the mouth of one of the go-to experts on this subject, so I'm really pumped to share this. Uh, A few of the topics we hit include weekly mean HRV, what it is, how to use it, and how to use the coefficient of variation, or HRV-CV, which you may have heard of before, Um, and how the CV number can actually possibly help predict competition performance, so it's really interesting. Um, There's also a big difference in the coefficient of variation between higher level athletes and lower level level athletes, despite similar training. Uh, Really, we dive into all of the variations of weekly HRV CV and what they mean for your training and competition prep. Um, We cover a lot. So we even cover how coaches and teams should implement heart rate variability monitoring differences in HRV changes from aerobic and anaerobic training, the difference between minimum effective dose and maximum effective dose, how to avoid parasympathetic saturation, and why to measure HRV in a seated position. Uh, Real quick, last one is how to use HRV to determine when a stimulus is no longer sufficient for adaptation. So we really cover a lot. Andrew has got a wealth of knowledge. And let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Um, We're excited to have you and appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedule to share your knowledge with our audience. Um, Since we have a lot of great topics to cover, why don't we go ahead and kick it off? Uh, Even though folks have probably heard of you, why don't we start with a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, I'm currently working on my PhD at the University of Alabama in exercise physiology. Um, my research interest obviously uh, pertains to heart rate variability monitoring in athletes. Um, athletically, I, I grew up playing hockey, uh, played rugby, um, and eventually stuck with football, played collegiate football. Uh, once I finished playing football, I gravitated towards powerlifting, and uh, and now I, I'm a very recreational powerlifter. Um, I, I don't compete nearly as often as I'd like to. Maybe I'll pick that up again in the future. Um, Got my master's degree in exercise science um, with a concentration in performance enhancement and injury prevention. Um, background in strength and conditioning, um, but more recently have gravitated more towards uh, the sports science side of things in terms of uh, less less in the in the trenches in terms of uh, you know spotting and 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 you know counting reps and so forth, and more on the side of the monitoring, collecting data, 
analyzing and 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 providing reports to coaches and and how that can influence training loads and and so forth so that's kind of where my where i am at currently nice thanks for sharing all that with us for those that don't know andrew has had the opportunity to dig through tons of hrv data from collegiate and professional sports teams to recreational fitness and sedentary populations so one of the topics i wanted to take a deep dive into are the differences between elite and recreational athletes. So before we dive into all the details, let's get a big picture view. What are the high level differences between elite and recreational athletes? All right, so um, I think any informed individual who's uh, been monitoring HRV and athletes for any given period of time can actually probably look at the HRV trend of a high level athlete versus a low level athlete and distinguish purely based on on what the data looks like if you were to plot it uh, on a line graph, for example. Um, and there's there's a couple reasons for that, but but the main differences are uh, higher fit athletes and, and more experienced athletes, uh, athletes with a greater training history, they're gonna tend to have a higher HRV. Um, specifically, I'm talking about a parameter called the RMSSD, the root mean square of success of RR interval differences, which is a parasympathetic marker. Um, so their HRV is going to tend to be higher, and they're going to see less fluctuation on a day-to-day basis. Um, whereas a lower fit athlete or less experienced athlete, um, are tend to, they may have lower HRV, and they're going to experience greater day-to-day fluctuation in terms of their score. So they could see you know 10 to 15 point changes on any given day, um, and and a lot of that has to do with fitness level. In fact, in in the research that we've done where we've looked at, you know, the mean and the CV, the CV represents uh, the daily variation in scores that I was just talking about. Um, there, there's a very strong relationship between um, between these parameters and fitness. The higher fit you are, the, the higher your score is and the less fluctuation you, you have. And the lower fit athletes are going to have lower scores and, and more day-to-day variation. So, you know, that that what that tells us is that, you know, the higher fit athletes you know, we already know this, but they have a greater ability to to handle uh, higher and more frequent training loads because because of their fitness level. They've adapted uh, to you know a certain uh, amount of fitness or of training, and therefore they're not going to be as stressed or fatigued from it, you know, on a day to day basis. Whereas a lower fit athlete, you know, you put them into the same workout with your higher fit athletes, and you're going to see much bigger changes in their scores because of it. So. So right off the bat, your higher level athletes are going to have tend to have higher scores and, and less day to day fluctuation, and your lower fit athletes are going to have, tend to have lower scores and, and more day to day variation. It, that, that's a general overview. Um, you know, each athlete's going to be a little bit unique, and and but you know, in terms of generally speaking, that's that's what we tend to see. So we know that elite athletes are more resilient to the stress of training, and what you're saying is that. That shows up pretty obviously in their HRV data as well. Absolutely, and I would I would even just take that one step further and say they're more resilient to the specific type of training that they're doing. Um, you know, you take an endurance athlete who's primarily been training a certain way, um, and you introduce a novel training stimulus to them, then you'll you will start to see bigger fluctuation in their scores because they're not adapted to that type of training. Now, being just being more aerobically fit, they, they can probably handle it better than someone who's less fit. Um, but but I would say there is specificity to, to the type of training because 
we will see in very high fit athletes when we when we change training up, we will start to see um, the, the fluctuation in their scores, which is indicating that, you know, this is a stimulus. It is provoking a, a stress response and, and they do recover from that, you know, after a day or two and so forth. A trend that I've noticed, especially in endurance athletes is uh, or athletes that do a lot of repetitive exercise is that they often end up training at fairly high volumes, even at the recreational levels. And they'll often say things like, I just can't get my HRV to drop or change much at all. And the first thing I think is that for to get the best results, they should definitely be working with an experienced coach or trainer who can monitor their data and adjust load and volume and intensity appropriately. Um, but the second thing that comes to mind is that they should consider introducing a different stimulus and seeing what happens. In your experience, would you say that a higher volume recreational athlete might see the same trend that we were just talking about if they were to introduce a different stimulus, such as a different movement pattern or changing up intensity or type of training? Yes, I think uh, your HRV is going to respond to the stimulus. If, if you're unadapted or you're unaccustomed to that type of training, you will see a decrease in your score. Um, you will probably be experiencing more fatigue and more soreness. Uh, and, and I do think, you know, I mean, first of all, with a, a aerobic training, you know, low, long, steady state type training, that actually tends to have a stimulatory effect on HRV, um, and, and which is one of the reasons why it's uh, been recommended as a, an effective recovery tool you know, 15 to 30 minutes on uh, on a bike or an aerodyne or, or a light jog can actually uh, enhance recovery or, or increase cardiac autonomic activity. Um, whereas uh, anaerobic type training, so intervals, uh, increasing uh, intensity and volume and resistance training, that is going to actually tend to decrease HRV and uh, may require a little bit more recovery time and so forth. And, you know, it, which there, it may be effective to include aerobic type training, you know, as a recovery and modality for those type of athletes during certain times of the year where you do need to really enhance recovery because of time constraints or because of frequent competitions and so forth. That leads us to another difference between elite and recreational athletes, which are the different time and schedule constraints that they deal with. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, if you're an elite athlete um, or, or a high-level athlete, you are basically at the mercy of your schedule. You have a competitive season, you have a preparatory period, uh, and so forth, and and there's not much you could do about that. So you need to, you may only have eight weeks to prepare for the season, and so your loads are going to be a little bit more concentrated. You may be training more frequently um, with higher intensity. I mean, we see it pretty regularly in, in most team sports with preseason training camp, for example, where, you know, two to three week periods of, of you know, sometimes three a day practices, um, you know, generally three days won't happen every day, but, uh, you know, that, that's a high, high level of, uh, of training. And it's, and it's an abrupt increase where typically, you know, athletes aren't preparing for training camp by training three times a day, you know? Um, so I think monitoring HRV, and these athletes during these times is, is, is very important because HRV is going to respond in athletes who are, are quickly accumulating fatigue and, and we should heed that warning sign and, and really 
ask ourselves, you know, do we really want to put this athlete through, you know, another three practices today or two practices? You know, is, is, how can we uh, facilitate recovery a little bit in this athlete? Because, I mean, one of the biggest, you know, risks of, of injury is, is just increased in training loads. So, so I, I think uh, elite athletes definitely would benefit from HRV monitoring, whereas recreational athletes aren't really uh, limited by competition times or, or competitive season. So they have the luxury of, um, you know, manipulating training on a daily basis um, to try and maintain a stable HRV trend, which, you know, I, I, you know, currently is still theoretically superior. Um, but, uh, you know, we need more research to, to show, you know, should we train to, to maintain an increased HRV? Uh, is that superior or not? You know, we still need more research, especially in different kinds of athletes, um, you know, strength training athletes, uh, sprinters and so forth. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, your your training schedule is definitely going to limit you uh, if you're a competitive athlete and, and therefore HRV is probably going to be uh, a very good tool for, for helping you plan and adjust training accordingly. Let's talk training load. The term minimum effective dose gets tossed around with regard to training and many people are keen on finding the minimum effective dose, especially recreational athletes or health seekers. On the other hand, elite athletes or competition-focused individuals might be seeking the maximum effective dose, uh, kind of two sides of the same coin, so to speak. Um, is HRV a tool, a useful tool, in both of those scenarios? That's, that's, a, that's a loaded question for a number of reasons. Um, I guess because adaptation in an athlete that enhances performance can be, could come from various qualities in terms of, you know, increasing the fitness of an athlete can technically transfer to better performance on the field because they can withstand, you know, m more high intensity runs and changes of direction. Therefore, they could play longer at a higher intensity. So that technically should enhance performance. Uh, strength is a quality. Power is a quality also that can technically transfer over to increased performance for a sport. But uh, what about, um, you know, strategic, um, you know, in, uh, skill acquisition and, um, you know, becoming, you know, better at changing direction and, and, you know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is HRV is going to respond to, to stress, whether that's training or, or, or sleep quality and whatnot. And, and that would be important definitely for um, managing training load um, to, to guide training and so forth. But uh, in terms of, you know, we can see improvements in performance without changes in fitness and strength and so forth. So, so it's hard, hard to say that, yeah, HRV conclusively can, can be used uh, for that reason. Um, but I think in terms of especially physical qualities, um, HRV may be useful for, you know, kind of observing when a stimulus is no longer um, provoking any kind of stress response and adaptation to it. Um, and that's what we saw in, in our, our female soccer players that, you know, at week one we saw in, in most of these athletes a large degree of fluctuation in their scores. And then at week three, those who were showing less fluctuation in their scores 
um, were the ones that went on to, to have the higher level of fitness, whereas girls that saw an increase in their daily fluctuation were the ones that, that ended up showing the smallest improvements or, or even regressing their, their performance. Um, so I think performance is a whole other parameter that we need to be able to monitor. And, uh, and, and again, I, I, I don't think it's as black and white as we'd like it to be. Um, it, can it be useful? Absolutely. Um, but I wouldn't say it's the only thing you want to be monitoring for, for assessing that. What are your thoughts? I like that you mentioned that it's not black and white. Often trainees might think, well, should I work out more or less? Often there is a definitive answer to that, but sometimes the answer might even be neither. Um, You know, perhaps the fitness level of the athlete is pretty good, but it's actually skill development that is the main area that needs improvement. So it's important to keep the context of goals in mind. And that leads to another difference between elite and recreational athletes. Um, but before we jump into that, you've mentioned the term parasympathetic saturation before in our discussions. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that is? Right. And, and I guess uh, I'll preface the, this by saying that the, this is not frequently seen, at least in terms of my experience. Um, it, parasympathetic saturation tends to occur predominantly or I would almost say even exclusively, I shouldn't say exclusively, but predominantly in, in very high level endurance athletes or, or individuals um, who are undergoing very high volumes of, of endurance training. Parasympathetic saturation, um, the result of would be uh, having decreased heart rate variability despite having a very low resting heart rate, which is counterintuitive because Typically, the lower your resting heart rate, the higher your heart rate variability is. There, there tends to be an inverse relationship there. But what's happening, you know, kind of uh, physiologically is that the, um, the acetylcholine receptors on the heart that uh, respond to vagal stimulation, the, the vagus nerve is going to release acetylcholine, which will bind to the muscarinic cholinergic receptors on, on the heart, and um, that tends to slow heart rate down. Um, and with respiration, we tend to get um, kind of this natural arrhythmia in, in heart rate where when we breathe in, it speeds up a little bit, and when we breathe out or when we expire, it slows down. But when we have saturation of these uh, acetylcholine receptors, we, we tend to lose that variability, and, and so you know we tend to lose that respiratory sinus arrhythmia. So heart rate remains relatively constant, more like a metronome, despite it being very low. Um, this has been reported in, in you know, high-level you know, ultra-marathoners and, and so forth that you, you're more susceptible to it in the supine position um, simply because you're, you're in a, a more rested or, or relaxed state where the heart is, is not being challenged to overcome gravity, to pump blood upwards and, and so forth. Um, so I would say you know, for the recreational athlete, it's probably not a concern. Um, but for, for the high-level elite endurance athletes, it, it may be something that they want to uh, consider. Um, measuring in a seated position or, or even standing, I would always recommend the, for, for higher fit athletes. For most people, I recommend see, uh, measuring HRV seated. But if you're an extremely fit athlete with a very low resting heart rate, I would even I would just measure standing. And that hopefully that should take care of any issues of parasympathetic saturation. 
Cool. A question I often get is my heart rate is this or my heart rate is that. Should I change the position that I'm taking my reading in? And uh, these also often come from users who have extremely low resting heart rates, sometimes even in the low 40s when sitting straight up without back support. Um, so in extreme cases, I recommend that they stand for their readings. Um, but in most cases, as long as there isn't excessive discomfort, I recommend sitting for pretty much everyone. Now a quick word about our sponsor, hrvcourse.com. If you're looking to take your usage of heart rate variability to the next level, check out the educational video courses over at hrvcourse.com. I'm one of the contributing instructors, and so are some of the experts you've heard on this podcast. Don't forget, listeners of this podcast get a 10% discount on your first course using discount code ELITEPODCAST. Courses are only open for enrollment at certain times of the year, so check it out today at hrvcourse.com. Just to catch everyone up who's listening, we have just fast-forwarded a few months to the second part of this interview. My internet connection in Thailand made the first part a bit painful to record, so we decided to continue once I got back to the States. Um, thanks again for joining us, Andrew. Let's kick this part of the discussion off with some coefficient of variation, or HRV-CV. Um, this may be one of the topics that we get asked the most about from coaches, sports scientists, and high-level athletes, so it should be pretty interesting. Um, HRV-CV has been a part of our team dash for some time, and we talk about it in the foundations course over at hrvcourse.com. But it was really your research, Andrew, and your experience that helped put CV on people's radars in the first place. Um, and you've also recently mentioned that your thoughts have evolved a little bit about it. So let's dive into that a little bit. First, what is the coefficient of variation of heart rate variability and what is it used for? The coefficient of variation is a really a measure of reliability. Um, and so the way we've been using it is across a one week period where you record HRV on a daily basis, you can calculate the weekly mean. And that's just the average of your, your seven scores. Um, and then you can calculate the standard deviation. Um, and when you divide that by the mean and multiply it by 100, that's your coefficient of variation. And it's basically telling us how much uh, your scores fluctuated throughout the week. So, so the more, for example, if you had a, a really big decrease in HRV at some point during the week, then your coefficient of variation is going to be higher. It also will increase your coefficient of variation if you had a, a, a big spike in HRV. So it doesn't discriminate between whether you're fluctuating, if you're, if you're seeing higher scores, lower scores, how kind of, it doesn't tell you exactly what's happening. It's just telling you that there's more fluctuation or less fluctuation. Starting in 2015, we started working with the Alabama swim team. And originally it started with just the sprinters, which was, was very interesting to me because there hasn't been a lot of research published in sprint athletes or, or anaerobic athletes. It's predominantly been in, in endurance athletes and for good reason. But uh, we ended up with at least one month of data from over 30 swimmers. Uh, and that included sprinters and, and, uh, and non-sprinters, but uh, no, no extreme endurance athletes. They were all pretty uh, short distance swimmers. 
and I divided them based on their, their training status. So whether they were, and this is unpublished, this is unpublished data. We've accumulated so much data the last couple of years, we just haven't had time to sit down and write it. So I look forward to this summer once, once classes and we can finally write it up. But um, essentially what we found was the, the, the national and international level competitors. And some of these are, are athletes preparing and, and competing uh, for the Olympics. Their coefficient of variation was significantly lower than the uh, conference level competitors. And this is, uh, we also saw that the, the international level competitors had a higher average HRV. This was based on a one month of data at the same time when they're all pretty much structured, uh, participating in the same structured training. So, so there, there's, there's a, a baseline difference in, in higher level athletes. And, and this, this wasn't, I guess it was kind of, it was, it was unique insight at first, but then I started thinking about the previous literature and, uh, you know, Jamie, Dr. Jamie Stanley had a, a great meta-analysis paper where he was looking at parasympathetic reactivation after exercise. And he found that higher level athletes showed greater and faster recovery after training sessions. And so if you think how that would apply across a week with a coefficient of variation, if you're doing a, a hard training session, and you're recovering faster, you're not going to see big swings in your HRV scores on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And there's a study by uh, Dr. Daniel Plews and, and very high level and Olympic level rowers. And what he was finding that, uh, was that after, after high intensity training sessions uh, above the second lactate threshold, that the, 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 the rowers that ended up winning medals were showing much faster parasympathetic reactivation recovery uh, after those training sessions, whereas the non-meddling rowers were showing uh, delayed recovery, essentially. So their HRV scores the next day were lower compared to the Olympic level athletes, or uh, compared to the, the meddling athletes. And then uh, the same group, uh, Daniel Plews, Martin Boucher, uh, I think Yann Lemire was on that paper as well. They looked at if, if you can calculate the weekly average of your HRV uh, in only three days per week, essentially. They were looking at what was the minimum amount of days that we needed to, re to record HRV to acquire a weekly mean because for compliance issues, if, if, the, if you don't measure HRV every day, is that a problem? And they had elite level endurance athletes and then they had recreational endurance athletes. And what they found was in the elite level athletes, you can acquire a weekly mean in three days, randomly selected from a week. Whereas in the, in the lower level athletes, the recreational athletes, you needed at least five days to capture a weekly mean value. And why would that be? Well, that just tells us that in the elite athletes, they're experiencing much less day-to-day -day variation. Therefore, you can capture the weekly mean in only three days. Whereas the lower level athletes, they're showing much bigger swings. They're, they're increasing, they're decreasing on a day-to-day -day basis. The CV coefficient of variation is higher. And therefore, it can't be captured in, in, in fewer days across the week. So... So that's kind of the basis for, for the co you know, making sense of the coefficient of variation. So higher level athletes at baseline are going to have a smaller coefficient of variation. They, they're, they just uh, handle training better. They're recovering faster and so forth. They're more accustomed to the loads. Uh, probably has something to do with fitness level. We, we, uh, we don't have yet that I'm aware of a fitness test on, on all the swimmers um, that we did. Uh, now the coaches might have something that we're going to have to look into, but I would assume if we were to test the fitness on all those swimmers, there would be a strong correlation between the CV and fitness level. 
a higher level international competitors probably are higher fit, which may explain some of the variance and their coefficient of variation of why it's smaller. Um, and then in a recent paper that we have in review with, uh, in collaboration with Dr. Fabio Nakamura, he collected HRV data in elite rugby players across, I think, a five-week preseason period. And, and one of the findings we reported was, was a relationship between the weekly mean and the coefficient of variation for, for each athlete. And we found a significant relationship. And, and at first I thought, you know, this obviously, right? Um, then I thought, you know, maybe it's not so obvious that, that just because you have higher HRV, you have less day-to-day -day fluctuation. And then, so I started, uh, to look at all of our compiled data. So, uh, from two different soccer teams, from, uh, swimmers, cross country athletes, from football players, uh, just within the teams themselves, I was looking at relationships between the mean and the CV and, and sure enough, I'm consistently finding significant relationships, um, which is telling us that the higher your HRV is, the less day-to-day -day fluctuation you're likely gonna have. Now, the, the correlations range from moderate to large, so it doesn't explain all the variance. So it, it doesn't mean that just because you have HRV, you're gonna have less, a smaller CV, um, but most of the time you will, that, that, that appears to be the case. And then, so, so you start to ask yourself, okay, so does, should we purposely try and increase our HRV so that we, have less day-to-day -day variation, um, is that meaningful at all? And I think that you gotta dip into some other research in, in terms of how, how one handles stress based on your HRV. And there's been some really interesting research, uh, kind of psychophysiological research where they're looking at baseline heart rate variability. Then they give them some kind of like a Stroop test or, or some kind of uh, stressful event. And, and then they, in the post period, the post-stress period, they're measuring um, RA variability again, in addition to blood pressure, cortisol, inflammatory markers, like uh, tumor necrosis factor, alpha, and, and so forth. And, and essentially what they find is, and there's a nice study in the European Journal of Applied Physiology, and I could I'll provide the link later, I just I can't remember the author. I think Julian Thayer out of Ohio State was on that one. Essentially what they found was that the individuals with higher vagal activity, higher parasympathetic markers of HRV, they respond to the stressor better. They, they get less of a reduction in HRV. They get uh, a smaller stress response in terms of cortisol uh, and inflammatory markers. And then those markers return to baseline much quicker than individuals with lower HRV, right? Then, so the question is, all right, can, can we purposely increase our HRV one of the easiest ways to do that is through aerobic exercise, right? Uh, it's very well established that, that you increase your fitness, aerobic fitness, HRV is going to go up. It happens time and time again. And, and, and so if we, can, if we can increase our HRV, our parasympathetic-related HRV, will that allow us to handle and adapt to stressors better? And, and there has been research where they essentially get – uh, put people on a on a fitness program, look at their markers of HRV, and then see how they respond to a stressor. And time and time again, and again, I, I'm drawing blanks on, on names of some of these authors, you, they tend to respond and recover faster, the more fit people and those with HRV. So uh, going back to our research, what we found, you kind of asked about with changes in, in fitness and the coefficient of variation, 
you know, during week one of a training program, we, we, we got their, their heart rate variability values every day to see how they responded to the first week. So uh, a new stimulus, um, they, they had just come off of a couple weeks of a break. So the first week was, was, even though the training loads weren't super high, it was stressful for them because, you know, they were a little bit detrained. And, and these were female soccer players, collegiate soccer players. So uh, not all of them necessarily had a giant uh, or, or a big history of resistance training and, and all that kind of stuff. So we knew it was going to be uh, physiologically stressful for a bunch of these athletes. And so what we saw during week one was pretty high coefficient of variations across the week. Uh, but we wanted to see if by week three, if the change in the coefficient of variation, as well as the weekly mean of HRV, uh, predicted or related to eventual changes in fitness uh, based on their yo-yo intermittent recovery test values. We got those at baseline and we measured them again at week five. And what we found was uh, athletes who by week three saw a reduction in the coefficient of variation ended up being the ones that improved the most in their fitness test. And I need to, I should also add that we, we also found a significant relationship between the weekly mean, sorry, it was non-significant because our sample size was only 12 subjects, but qualitatively it was a large correlation. It was a 0.5 uh, correlation indicating that the increase in your HRV, so your, your increase in the weekly mean in addition to a reduction in the coefficient of variation was a positive response to the training. Um, and, and I think that's an important distinction because if you see a decrease in your HRV, weekly mean, in addition to a decrease in your coefficient of variation, that could be indicating something entirely different. So, so just looking at change in the CV alone isn't going to tell you everything. You kind of want to see how the, the weekly mean changes along with the CV because uh, a reduction in the weekly mean in addition to a reduction in the CV is probably indicating pretty high fatigue um, because their, their HRV is dropping and it's not coming back up to baseline. It's, it's chronically suppressed, right? So. So that could be indic in indicating fatigue, whereas if their HRV is increasing and there is less fluctuation, uh, most of the time that's probably going to indicate that they're, they're handling training stress well. Um, and again, there's always exceptions to that too because increases in HRV have been related to non-functional overreaching and elite endurance athletes. But that, we're, we're talking about team sport athletes here and, and not, not so much the triathletes. So that that's not really in the context of, of our, of this discussion. So, yeah. So we talked about how you definitely have to look at both the mean and the CV and that the mean can give insight into how much of a change in CV you might expect to see. So if you look at two individuals, one with a lower average HRV and one with a higher average HRV, then uh, given a similar stimulus, you can usually expect a higher coefficient of variation or change in HRV for the person with lower average HRV. And especially because both the mean and the CV tend to relate well with fitness, whether it's VO2 max or, or max aerobic speed. Um, individuals with higher HRV tend to be the most fit. But we're also seeing a, a very similar relationship with the CV. The lower the CV the, the higher the fitness. So I'll, I'll just throw that in there as well. <laughs> that explains why my CV is so high sometimes. <laughs> um, so do you typically focus solely on the weekly mean and weekly coefficient of variation, or do you also look at monthly or longer terms? Yeah, you, you definitely can look uh, if you want to see longitudinally kind of uh, how that looks over, you know, four weeks or whatever. But typically I'm looking at a seven day 
seven day values. If, if the athletes are participating in uh, a sport that the weekly structure is pretty much the same, they, so they compete on the same days, they practice on the same days, then I like to see the week to week changes in the mean and CV. I'm also looking at acute daily changes too, because um, though I don't like to be hypersensitive to them, uh, very large increases and decreases are, are, are usually indicative that something's up. And uh, I've, I've learned after seeing it time, I've done a lot of my research has been very observational where we're not intervening um, because we're just trying to validate that, you know, these trends that we're seeing are, are either leading to good things or leading to bad things, right? Um, and, and when working with a new coach, you almost, I always suggest, listen, let's, let's the, it makes sense why we're going to start recording and, and looking at recovery status, but, but just so, so we could kind of validate it on, on our athletes, let's just observe how they respond to training. And then we're going to analyze things, you know, who underperforms, who, who performs well, who gets sick and all this stuff. And, and, and we'll see what the HRV trend is telling us. And, uh, most coaches I've worked with end up wanting to continue monitoring HRV just because they, they can see some of these trends. Um, so, so yeah, uh, on a week to week basis, if the structure is relatively similar, um, but I also uh, look at the rolling seven day average and, and, uh, to be honest, when I'm, when I'm working with a team just to provide insight to the coach, I'm, I'm generally not doing a ton of data analysis. Uh, I'm, I'm just observing the trend. If it's visualized nicely, I, I can I can see when there's more fluctuation. I can see when the mean is going up, when it's going down, and uh, so so it can be interpreted relatively quickly when when you kind of you know what you're looking for. So, um, but but monthly changes can tell you kind of just you know if you, if you're doing a, an aerobic block of training, for example, or an anaerobic block of training. However, you know those are very vague in general, but. Um, I would expect HRV to, to respond differently. Um, I would, you know, during uh, aerobic training, I would expect to see increases in HRV and probably a decrease in the CV. Whereas if you're doing primarily high intensity training, I'm going to expect that, you know, by 24 hours, by the next day, when you measure your HRV, it's not necessarily going to be at baseline. There's going to be a lot more fluctuation. Um, and because of that your means going to go down usually. So, um, so across, you could kind of just see how they responded across the month. In our discussions, you mentioned that 7% was a useful threshold for weekly coefficient of variation. So for athletes, if your weekly HRV CV is above 7%, that would be considered a higher CV. So let's run through the list of combinations of weekly mean HRV and weekly HRV CV and uh, starting with what does it mean if weekly HRV is low and weekly HRV CV is high? If I have no indication of what the training is looking like, my prediction or my guess would be they're either starting a new training phase or a new program where, where the stimulus is, is somewhat novel and uh, they're stimulated from it. Um, so it, the CV is going to increase and the, the mean can decrease as a, uh, as a result of training load. And I've seen this in, in several different teams of different sports. When you increase training load across the group, the CV tends to, to go up and the mean tends to go down. The CV may be a little bit more sensitive because it, it's, it's more sensitive to change or sorry, it's more subject to change. Um, you know, the mean may, may go up or down a couple points, but the CV can increase uh, pretty soon be the most fit. So, but 
but what I, I've also seen is in very fit athletes who are very well accustomed to a given training stimulus and they see a, a decrease in their mean and an increase in their CV, almost always we can attribute it to some kind of non-training related stressor. Um, and it could just be, it could be uh, academic stress. It could be some, something is going on with their family. There could be someone passed away and, and they, they were dealing with that. So in, in your high level athletes who, who you would expect to handle this kind of training well, when they show a decrease in the mean and increase in the CD, I would I would look into the non-training factors that can be contributing to that, and and that is important because you'd be surprised how quick that can run them down. You know, despite it not being trained related stress, it really does compromise their ability to tolerate and handle it and recover from it. So um, I would I would say in high level athletes, when you see those changes, I, I'd I'd be more concerned about that. I would I would expect to see it in, in your lower level athletes. Um, but it, um, when you start to see it in your higher level athletes, pay attention to that and, and just be mindful of it. So if you were coming off of a period of rest or an off season, you might expect a decrease in weekly mean HRV and an increase in weekly HRV CV. Um, but if you aren't expecting this type of reaction, then it may be concerning, especially for more high fit athletes. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not saying you need to throw up a whole bunch of red flags and, and, and change everything sure. and take them out of training. They're not, a lot, you know what I mean? That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just telling you that it's, it's reflecting some physiological stress and, and just, you know, depending on your situation, what training phase you're in, be mindful of it. Are you trying to uh, accumulate fatigue and stress? Obviously non-training stress, we're never trying to accumulate. We always want to manage that as best as we can, but uh, you know, if, if we continue to increase training loads and, and neglect or, or not pay attention to these non-training factors, uh, we, we can be putting that athlete at risk of uh, overdoing it a little because they're just not going to respond to training nearly as well. Is there any difference if weekly mean HRV just stays the same but CV increases? And does that happen often? Yeah, because if, if the increases and decreases are, are similar, um, the, the average can't like it stays the same. You know what I mean? You, you can have a week where your CV is really small and then next week your CV increases substantially, but your mean can stay the same. So that, yeah, absolutely that can happen. Um, and I would, I would say that, and this is hypothetical, um, that we can maybe interpret if the CV increased, but the mean didn't really change. Then, then I would say that that's a very moderate level of, uh, of a stimulus or um, I don't, I use the word fatigue a lot, but uh, we got to be careful with, with how we're defining fatigue and, you know, in, in the research world, there could be a lot of people saying, well, how do you know that's you means? And, and all I'm saying is that there's some kind of physiological stressor that's causing these day-to-day -day changes um, that are, that are outside of their baseline because you can get it a, you know, when, when you're looking at what during normal training, how someone responds normally, you got to get an idea of how they, how they'll typically respond when, when their response changes, whether there's much greater variation or much less fluctuation, that's pretty meaningful usually. So, but yeah, you, you can see not, not much of a change in the mean, but the CV can increase. And I would expect to see that again with, with any kind of change in training or an increase in loads. Um, that would almost be the earliest stage or, or kind of one of our um, earlier signs that there's that they're stimulated. 
Um, and then the one that we previously just talked about was a decrease in the mean with an increase in the CD. I would suggest that, you know, especially in team sport type athletes, that would, almost, that would be the next step of where, where fatigue would be increased a little bit more or, there, or there's more physiological stress taking place um, because the fluctuate that tells us that the fluctuation is, is, is downward um, and uh, because the mean is going down. Right. So, um, right. So, that, so we can almost kind of categorize it as kind of very moderate, a little bit more, and then more severe fatigue comes next, right. Which we can get into. Right. My experience with this pattern for folks that are training for some type of sport is that they're getting some type of stimulus, but they're also recovering back to their average levels of HRV. So they may not be increasing aerobic fitness, but they may see improvement in strength or skill or some other performance marker because they're likely getting some sort of stimulus and also recovering back to baseline at least. Yeah, and and we can only increase our HRV so much. Um, obviously the higher your baseline HRV, you know, um, even just genetically, some people are going to have higher HRV. You can only get it so high. Right. The last scenario is weekly mean HRV increasing and HRV CV increasing also, uh, both are going up. So what would that indicate? The scores are, are scattering a little bit. So you, you are probably, um, in the early stages of, of some, some type of training program that you're adapting reasonably well to because your, your overall trend is starting to increase. Um, but there's still obviously some kind of perturbations taking place. Um, it may, might take a day or two for your score to, to return back to baseline, but it can exceed baseline, uh, substantially where we see, you know, we just get a spike in HRV here and there. Um, I mean, there's, there's plausible explanations, um, with, you know, changes in plasma volume that, that may account for these spikes in HRV after a couple of days. Um, but with, with an increase in HRV and an increase in the CV, uh, I, I really need to look at training loads and, and see, and then some wellness questionnaires just to kind of see what, what's going on and, and what we can really attribute that to. But I, I, I personally wouldn't be alarmed by that kind of a trend in terms of, Oh, you know, we gotta, we gotta look into making some type of intervention here. Okay, great. This is fantastic information. Um, we've got one more variation to cover in this episode of HRV and uh, mean and CV before we break for a second round. But uh, by the way, Andrew is sharing a written breakdown of the CV variations with us that we're posting over on the Elite HRV website. Um, we're going to announce on Facebook and Twitter and all that when that's posted. Um, but keep an eye out on the Elite HRV blog because uh, it may already be up when you listen when you're listening to this. So uh, now let's look at HRV increasing and CV going down, like you might see in a taper situation, for example. Generally, that's going to happen during a reduction in training load. So that could be a taper. It could just be going from a high load week to you know, relatively a lower load week. It, it's, in my experience, a, a good response. It indicates that you're, you're handling and recovering well. You're experiencing much less day-to-day fluctuation. Your score trend may be increasing a little bit. Um, almost always, in my experience, that's, that's indicative of a good positive response. Uh, training adaptation is good. Uh, and, and, and this was just from one case study in a cross-country endurance athlete, but we found um, a 0.92 correlation between 
race weekly eight kilometer race times and the coefficient of variation where when there's less day-to-day -day fluctuation he across the week he performed better every single time essentially so um in my experience that is always almost always indicative of, of a, a good positive response and and possibly a a, a higher readiness to perform just because uh, you're you have not been encountering major stressors or if you were you were just handling and adapting to them really well and and you might be good to go and we did see that in, in a bunch of swim sprint swimmers uh you know we had we were monitoring uh throughout the whole season but particularly the, the particular the particular block that we were looking at was in preparation for the sec championships and and we we looked at the mean and cv during a week of baseline and then during a two-week anaerobic overload and then during a two-week taper and we were just looking at the mean and cv changes and that change in the mean and the cv was there was an increase in the mean a decrease in the cv leading right up into competition and and the athletes that demonstrated that which was most of them all performed really well with the extent then there was some athletes uh that underperformed and and their trend was was not showing that so um that's that for those reasons uh that's kind of why i usually attribute that to positive response and, and good adaptation. I've also seen the opposite pattern in higher level endurance athletes, often with elite marathon runners or triathletes, that their HRV will actually increase throughout a training period. And then both HRV and CV will drop in the taper. Um, have you seen that as well? And, and how is that different? That's actually not uncommon for endurance athletes. Uh, a a bell-shaped trend and HRV has been has been reported before, um, and, and uh, I especially think Daniel Plews, some of his previous work um, showed that um, you know several weeks out from competition, uh, you, you're seeing an increase in the HRV, which sometimes can be associated with non-functional overreaching. And this was this was found in uh, Ian Lemire's paper in MedSci, and I think it was 2013, where they they found parasympathetic hyperactivity during overload training was associated re with reduced endurance performance markers. Um, but when you reduce training loads, um, the, you, that parasympathetic hyperactivity that you're seeing starts to return back to baseline. So if you're looking at the trend is, as you, you're increasing training loads, specifically with endurance training, you could, you could see an increase in HRV, which, which may not be a good thing. And this might be confusing to everyone because we were just talking about how it's usually a good thing. This is specific to endurance athletes, high level endurance athletes. Um, and then as they reduce training loads, it comes back down to baseline. And that's been associated with freshness and, and recovery and ready to perform. So, so you absolutely have to take your trend in context of what sport you're doing, what activities you're doing. And, and the nature of your taper, I mean, endurance is a broad category. Are we talking triathlete marathon? Are we talking 5k? Are we talking, you know, so so even that requires some context, because um, depending on and if you if you build up your training with a lot of endurance aerobic training, um, we could actually we could see an increase in, in in your mean just because of the effect of aerobic training on parasympathetic activity. But then, if, and if your last week or your last couple of weeks of the taper, you start to cut out aerobic work a little bit and, and focus on more high intensity training. We know that, that that actually tends to cause acute decreases in your HRV and it might take a day or two to return back to baseline. So your average is actually going to go back down. So we could see a bell-shaped trend in that regard as well, um, which, is, which is not necessarily associated with 
parasympathetic hyperactivity due to overreaching, but just because of the high content of aerobic training and then switching gears to high intensity training, which causes, tends to cause a decrease in HRV. Um, so yeah, it can be very confusing and, and requires context. Folks, that is only half of the discussion with Andrew Flat. The next episode of the podcast is another deep dive with Andrew on completely new topics regarding HRV and sport performance. There's also one more combination of CV and HRV to cover. We also discuss injury potential in HRV, sympathetic activation for better performance, hydration and plasma volume, the three-step process for implementing HRV, and when not to use HRV. As you can see, Andrew lives and breathes HRV for sport performance. If you want a more in-depth understanding of the mechanisms behind HRV and how to apply them, don't forget to check out hrvcourse.com and use discount code ELITEPODCAST at the checkout. And to hear round two with Andrew and to get more information like this episode, definitely subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Also, the best way to help us continue to bring in more experts is to leave a review on iTunes. Simply go to EliteHRV.com slash iTunes and stick a short review there, please. Uh, We read every single one of them and it helps a lot. And appreciate your time and see you next time. Sponsored by HRVCourse.com truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code ELITEPODCAST for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, ELITEPODCAST. Visit hrvcourse.com to get access today.